Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Richmond, welcome to the Jeff Katz Show. Hey, this is Tim Anderson, guest hosting for my good friend Jeff Katz. But guess what? We have treats today. We've talked about it. We've advertised it. We have two of the greatest in Virginia with me. We have Jeff Katz, the other Jeff Katz, other white meat, right? The the chief Jeff Katz, police chief, no, no relation at all to Jeff Katz, the radio guy. And we have Carl Leonard, Sheriff Chesterfield County. So we have the Chesterfield Chief of Police and the Chesterfield Sheriff joining us. They're going to be with us for the show, guest hosting. Welcome, guys. Pleasure to be with you. All right. So, look, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't think in the history of the entire world have we had the Chief of Police and the Sheriff and a loudmouth defense lawyer all in the same room. (laughs) (laughs) I object. (laughs) You you know, there's there's definitely not a situation where there's a lot of... uh, Friend, friends usually between defense lawyers and law enforcement, but we have certainly brought, you know, made a, a nice bond. Uh, and, you know, the funniest thing, uh, I think I've met Carl dozens of times, but I've never met you, Chief Katz, in person ever. Uh, this is the first time, like, seeing you in person. Yeah. It's uh, like you're a red M&M. You do exist. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, this is going to be law and order. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff today, and we have the experts to talk about it. So, uh, Virginia, you... Listen, you you know that's what we're talking about. So let's talk about the monkey in the room of why Chesterfield Police Department is almost fully staffed and Chesterfield Sheriff's Office is f- mostly fully staffed. And we look at places like City of Richmond, uh, Portsmouth, Norfolk, where I'm from, where they are down hundreds of officers. Um, so what's the uh, what's the recipe? What's going on? Let's start with you, Chief Katz. Uh, how's Chesterfield keeping its police department fully staffed? Well, you know, I don't want to speak of, uh, of any other agencies. I'll just speak of our own. And, and one of the things that I think um, we're doing and we've been continuing to do is sharing with people what, why the work we do matters and then um, standing in support of our staff when they do the job. And I think that's essential. Um, you know, people want to be part of something that they believe in and that they feel is just and right and good. Um, and, um, I think one of the things that we saw in 2020, which is really when we started seeing record numbers of people, both leaving the profession and then record numbers of people not applying for the profession, um, is what I say all the time, which is that good people don't want to continually be told they're bad people. Uh, sooner or later, the good people are going to walk away and then you're not going to have good people to respond to your calls. Right? So um, we believe in what we do, and uh, we make it clear to our staff how they can contribute, and they contribute, and we support them for doing it. Yeah. What about you, Carl? Well, I, I think that the biggest thing is, and Jeff is a pretty modest guy, it goes to leadership too, uh, and we have to be the biggest cheerleaders for our folks. Uh, we've got to be out there promoting them the good job they do every day. The acts that these men and women do in our in our county, in our Commonwealth, and in this country every day are amazing, 
but they often go unseen, unheard, and untold. Uh, Jeff and I are, are really big cheerleaders for everybody in the department. We're telling their story every day. But I would also say this. A lot goes to our county leadership, our county administration, our county board of supervisors, who has always stood with us in the face of the calls to defund police. They've actually funded us. And uh, we, we got the support from above, which is great to have that. And then we support our folks and, and just create that environment, as Jeff is talking about, where everybody feels valued, that the work they're doing is important, which it is, and that they're valued for doing that work, which we constantly try to show them uh, every, t- every turn, because they're doing a job that a lot of people in this country, probably 98% of this country, would never want to do. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's, he, he hit it right on, the, right on the head, is, you know, you saw in Richmond, the only people that got prosecuted, it felt like, were the police, <laughs> you know, for breaking up the riots. And the rioters were given money. They were paid out. And the police are the ones that they were chasing down. You know, obviously, police don't always do everything perfectly. I get that. But, you know, you, you saw this just mentality of, like, the leadership of the city of Richmond just always throwing the law enforcement under the bus, right? Like, it's almost like when there's an incident that happens, there's a law enforcement incident, use of force, something like that. The instinct is always the police did something wrong, right? The police did it wrong, and, you know, the police and sheriffs aren't so quick about responding fast, and then the the momentum builds, police have done something wrong, and then you see the body camera and you find, oh, well, wait, they didn't do anything wrong. This is actually exactly right, right? And, and you didn't see that happen in Chesterfield. You didn't see the board of supervisors out there saying, we need to defund this. We didn't see the sheriff's office, your constitutional officer. We didn't see you saying those things. We saw them supporting we saw that same thing in Virginia Beach. You know, that same thing happened in Virginia Beach. But then we saw the opposites happen in Portsmouth and Norfolk. And you're seeing that in Richmond and, uh, you know, the other metropolitan areas of, of bad elected officials making decisions that tell people that are in law enforcement, you're not, you're not anything but the next defendant as soon as we can make you one, right? Um, so, I mean, nobody's doing this job for the money, right? I mean, law, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure you guys didn't get like huge raises anytime in the past five years, right? Nothing major. So you're doing this, uh, for respect and love and service and that's it, right? That's what the cause was. This has to be in your DNA. You have to be somebody who's uh, willing to have that sacrifice for selfless service. You're not going to get rich doing this job, but you will get rich with the personal rewards for the acts you do. Uh, and that's what we got to highlight. And we're encouraged by the young people we see coming back into our profession. Uh, that's something we've missed since 2020, quite frankly. Uh, and who would? Who would come into this profession while it's under attack nationally? Uh, but we've seen recently that the numbers have come up with youth, young people, 21 years old, 20 years old, uh, coming into this profession because they feel that personal need to help others for that service. Uh, and we're encouraged. We really are. So you just can't replace the law enforcement officer, right? Like today, if police officer quits, you just can't put a new police officer on the road, even a certified one, right? It takes no, time. It, it's going to take some time. I mean, typically, if we lose an officer, and, and the size of our agency, we're 563 sworn, about 750 total. Um, but if we lose an officer, we lose two a month, generally, to retirement on average. And um, it'll take about a year for us to uh, identify, recruit, uh, test, train, and deploy uh, an officer. So um, it's a it's a long process, uh, and it's something we have to stay ahead of. So what what's uh, what's the number one like if if we could fix something in law enforcement as elected officials? If there's something we can do at the higher level, in General Assembly, what's the what's the one thing you would say to General Assembly members, Chief Katz? 
Uh, I would say remain focused on victim rights. That is essential. And I think that's something over the last couple of years that I've seen that's caused me great concern is that in many respects, uh, the accused who are not guilty, right? And and you understand that as defense counsel, but um, the accused seem to have more rights than those who have been victimized. Right. Um, and we cannot ever forget that every time a crime occurs, if that crime isn't solved or if it's solved and then the person who is responsible for it gets a slap on the wrist and is immediately released, which we're seeing a lot, and Carl's going to talk about that in the future, I'm sure, um, you know, that, that means that it's a victim that did not receive justice from the criminal justice system. I mean, we saw that exact point with the parole board, right, in, in 2020, yep. where they were just releasing people without even calling victims, without calling Commonwealth attorneys. They were just pu- punching people out, serious offenders, not, you know, not just like drug people, but serious criminal offenders were getting punched out. And the victims were told, shut up, we're all about, you know, criminal rights rather than victim rights. Uh and I, I can't imagine that. And so, Sheriff, you have the jail side of this, right? Where's right. where's the what's the number one thing we could do to fix that? Well, I, I think you have to get back to rehabilitation. You, know, you got to give folks the tools necessary to be the productive members of society we want. Uh, you got to hold people accountable. Uh, that's first and foremost. Uh, if you're in a society where nobody's accountable for their actions, uh, you're going to be in havoc every day. So uh, we still have to hold people accountable for their actions. Uh, and, and as Jeff says, the victims have to have a standing here. Unfortunately, what we've seen, especially out of 2020 and some of the criminal justice reform rules, was uh, the victims have not been represented fairly. And unfortunately, we talk about it all the time with, with Chief Katz, is uh, the violator that he his folks arrest will be home and in bed before his officers finish doing a report for serious crimes, for felonies, for a whole litany of, of criminal activities. They're usually home before his officers even finish writing their report. Yeah. All right. So that's our first segment. We've got a lot to talk about, but uh, this is going to be fun. We're going to hear a lot from the inside. You're going to want to stick with us. This is Tim Anderson, Jeff Katz, and Carl Leonard, guest hosting for Jeff Katz here on WRVA. Uh, Stick with us. We'll be right back. Richmond. Hey, this is Tim Anderson here with uh, Chief Jeff Katz and Sheriff Carl Leonard uh, on the Jeff Katz Show, WRVA. So, producer Jeremy, uh, no more Charlie Brown music. We got to have total Metallica from now on. All right, this is this is not a Charlie Brown show. All right, so um, welcome back to the show. This is uh, this is our Law and Order conversation, and uh, you know I was in the General Assembly this year, and we had members of the General Assembly that came to the General Assembly with not just sovereign immunity, but something called absolute immunity. Nothing that they say or do is actionable in a court of law. Uh, if if I said something completely defamatory about somebody on the House floor, I can't be sued. Absolute immunity. And they came in and they said, we want to take away sovereign immunity from law enforcement, right? And uh, or, or qualified immunity from law mm-hmm. enforcement. And so uh, I want to talk about that because it's kind of funny that the guys with the immunity tell the guys that do the real work uh, that they shouldn't have any immunity and what that really means. So I'll just quick, quick two seconds on what this is. Qualified immunity means if a police officer, law enforcement officer, sheriff, deputy is doing something in their official performance of their duties that they can't personally be sued if they are performing within regulations and operations. Doesn't mean the county or the city can't be sued for 
something, you know, if a police car is chasing a bad guy and an accident happens and some innocent people get hurt, those people can get compensation from the municipality. Uh, but what it does mean is that the police officer doesn't get personally sued where he loses his personal assets. That's qualified immunity. And so obviously, if the police officer did something egregious, totally outside the bounds, you know, went out and did something terrible, law enforcement officer, he could be still sued personally because he wouldn't have qualified immunity. They wanted to take that away. So, Carl, uh, Sheriff Leonard, tell me what that would do to your agency if uh, Democrats are successful in uh, eliminating qualified immunity. I don't think you see another applicant come into the profession, and, and whether it's police, sheriff, or troopers, uh, you know, qualified immunity, I, I don't want uh, my officers or, or troopers or deputies to have a risk every time they respond to a call, every time they stop a car, where they can lose their house and everything they own. If we do that, they're never going to come into profession. The the key here is, is the term qualified immunity. You only have this immunity if you qualify for it, and that means you followed policies, procedures, and the law. If you act outside of that, you don't qualify for it, and you're subject to be sued as you should be. Uh, nobody's protecting bad cops here. Uh, this is about protecting the ones that do their job the right way, following our policies and procedures. Now we may have b- bad policies and procedures. Then it's my fault or Jeff's fault. But you can't take away qualified immunity and create an environment where every action somebody in law enforcement takes can be the end of their personal career, uh, with their house being taken away from them, all their possessions, their banks. Uh, you'll never get anybody to come in this profession again, and, and that's not a good scenario. So imagine this. Uh, troopers generally patrol large areas all by themselves, uh, and they're responsible for counties sometimes with no backup within any reasonable amount of time. And they're going to be asked to make a decision at 2 o'clock in the morning that potentially that they're going to lose their qualified immunity to and be subject to losing everything else. Who would want to step in that position uh, with, and, and take that on voluntarily, right? It, this would be horrendous for recruiting into our, our law enforcement communities and be the end of it, quite frankly. How many people quit, Chief Katz, if uh, that passes? Oh, I, I, I'd say you probably lose about 30 to 40% of your active law enforcement probably in the first year that something like that passes and then you don't recover. Like you're not going to get people to come back. And, you know, look, I want to make it perfectly clear. You know, we're, we're human beings. We're fallible just like anybody else. Our personnel have made mistakes. We'll continue to make mistakes because we're people, right? And we recruit from the same population um, that, that we serve. Um, but that said, there are good faith exceptions that the law provides for someone who's acting in good faith. Right, that they're following training, they're following, um, you know, procedural guidelines. Uh, the elimination of qualified immunity essentially means that that a police officer's actions taken in good faith could still lead to uh, personal devastation uh, financially, uh, and that's just not appropriate. And and more so, recognize that people that are pushing for this are representatives representing members of the of the community right how does the public how is the public best served when you're going to have police officers fleeing the profession right when you have when you have people not wanting to be in the job remember what i said before good people don't want to be told they're bad people um and being monday morning quarterbacked when acting in good faith would be devastating not just to the police services but also to the communities that we serve. And I think that's important. Yeah, look at Minnesota, right? I mean, you know, they were all drunk on, uh, on Minneapolis was all drunk on getting rid of defunding the police. And now they're in a total mess because the police have left, right? And, 
you know, there's no society on the planet where when you decrease law enforcement, crime decreases with that. You know, like that doesn't happen. Every time law enforcement goes down, crime goes up because there's less deterrence, right? And that's that's what happens. So the teacher uh, who got shot in Newport News, right? So the administrators seem to have pretty clear indicators that that kid had a gun and they didn't do anything, right? So those administrators who failed to act and let that teacher get shot, they have sovereign immunity, which is more than qualified immunity. You can't sue the principal of that Newport News school or the administrators below him uh, in that uh, in that school because they have sovereign immunity. Uh, so uh, when we're talking about immunity for government, you know, the trash truck that drives by your house and sideswipes your car, that can't they can't be sued because they have sovereign immunity. But the police that are running into gunfire, the deputies that are uh, that are, you know, breaking up fights in the jails and doing things that are necessary to promote law and order. We want to tell them you get no immunity. Like who could possibly agree with that? That is just such an insane concept. So law enforcement would get nothing. So as Jeff and I mentioned, it would hurt recruiting and he'd lose probably 30 percent of his force. The others stay because, quite frankly, they're too close to retirement. They have to. But the other part part of this is you now are going to think about being sued when you have to take action. And that hesitation that these officers, deputies, and troopers, if it's a split-second hesitation, could be a fatal decision on their part. We don't want them out there second-guessing what they need to do because they might be sued or might not be sued. Uh, we want them to take action when they have to take it when it's necessary and appropriate. And they have split seconds to make that decision. If they hesitate at all because they're wondering if they're going to be sued and lose their house, it could be fatal to them. Or to the victims. Like, you know, right. like the woman who's being right. beat up by her drunk husband in the house, and it's a domestic <clears throat> violence call, and the police are waiting out there for more backup because they don't want to run in and possibly get sued. Um, that is a big problem. And it, but it just shocks me that all of the government gets some kind of immunity, if not sovereign, absolute immunity, except for what what they want to do to police and tell them you get no immunity, none. Like you get nothing whatsoever. And you have the most dangerous jobs of all of the government uh, out there, uh, except maybe being uh, a Republican and a completely Democrat General Assembly. So in any event, we'll uh, we'll pause on that. I'm not going to make this too political, but we'll pause on that. Uh, we're going to be right back. This is Tim Anderson, Chief Katz, Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield, uh, guest hosting the Jeff Katz Show here on WRVA. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome, Richmond. This is Tim Anderson, guest hosting the Jeff Katz Show with uh, my good friends, Chief Jeff Katz and uh, Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield. So, uh, guys, the other day, uh, actually a week ago today, I was in Norfolk and we were arguing for a client that I had. It was in the evening called Armed Forces Brewery. It's a new brewery down there. And uh, there was this big fight against them. They didn't want them uh, to, certain community members didn't want them to come to town. And uh, we were arguing before city council that night about whether they should be allowed to open. By the way, uh, they did get permission to open, which is shocking. Congratulations. If you're a veteran, please uh, patronize this incredibly great veteran brewery. But when I was walking back to my car at like 830 that night, three... 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. People walk by me smoking marijuana, right? I mean, we know what marijuana smells like. It's pungent. It's a, it's a unique smell. It's not cigarette smoke or smoking marijuana. And, you know, it just, it just, it happens all the time. I mean, everywhere I go uh, down there in Norfolk or Virginia Beach, people are just smoking marijuana. They're smoking it on the beach. They're smoking it in our town center area. They're smoking it in parking garages. It, they're just consuming it everywhere in public. And that's not legal. There's no law that allows you to consume marijuana in public. Uh, and I just wonder, uh, Chief Cass, I'll start with you uh, since you're on the law enforcement side uh, uh, first responding. Uh, what are you seeing in Chesterfield? I mean, you know, if a police officer pulls over a car for a suspected driving under the influence and they determine it's not alcohol, but it might be drugs, what are they doing about that? How are they determining that? Um, what What is happening in Chesterfield on the streets now that people think marijuana is legal to consume in public? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, about the use of marijuana. You know, we field complaints all the time from, you know, parents who are at, at Little League parks with their kids and there are people smoking marijuana in the park, right, with their kids and they want the police to come out and do something. And of course, naturally, we're willing to come out and, and have discussions with the people and if need be, m- make an arrest because it is illegal to smoke marijuana in public. Um, but, you know, we... We got into a bit of a bind with the General Assembly in, in how they articulated the law when it comes to uh, impaired driving. Uh, specifically, uh, we might pull someone over for what we believe to be impaired driving, and we may smell a strong odor. As you said, it's a very distinct odor. I mean, there is no smell like it other than the smell of marijuana. But smelling marijuana alone does not give us any authority to conduct a criminal investigation. Our literally hands are tied and we're not able to do a criminal investigation for impaired driving. And look, impaired driving is one of the most deadly things that we have going on in this country. And um, just last year, we arrested over 1,100 people in Chesterfield County alone for impaired driving, right? Um, it's a problem. Now, we have uh, drug enfor- or drug recognition experts that we have on our force that we've been training up. Um, and so they can assist us if we have something other than the smell of marijuana uh, to do a criminal investigation. But uh, impaired driving is an issue. And marijuana is one of those things. First of all, there's no quality control for it, right? You buy a dime bag off somebody, you don't know what's in it, right? Sure. Fentanyl. Um, you have, you have no idea what's in it. And so, and, and people react differently to it. You know, some people, uh, they're mellow, right? And some people, uh, they get paranoid, right? Some people, it's a stimulant for them, right? So you have no idea what it is uh, exactly that you're ingesting and how it's going to affect you. Uh, and then if you get behind the wheel of a car, it can be a very dangerous situation. Yeah, and people think it's just legal. I mean, I see them driving around all the time, smoking marijuana. You can smell it. Sheriff, mm-hmm. in the jail... How many people are coming in under the influence of marijuana? I mean, is this a big thing? Well, I mean, let's go back to uh, when we started enacting and talking about enacting these laws uh, a few years ago. And, and the whole impetus for this back then was 
the number of people who were being jailed simply because of simple possession of marijuana. And that was the driving force, right? We can't have everybody sitting in jail because of a simple possession of marijuana. Well, the truth of the matter is nobody was sitting in jails for simple possession of marijuana. It just didn't happen. You're saying that they were not telling us the truth? Uh, I'm just saying that there was some misinformation <laughs> going around there. Uh, you know, I was a police officer for 31 years uh, with Chesterfield County uh, before I became sheriff. And, and, I, and I know a lot of the police officers today. Uh, somebody who had simple possession of marijuana rarely got, even got arrested. Uh, it, it's not what we want to occupy our time with. So, you know, the the whole driving force to change the law to what it is today wasn't really there. Uh, but then, as we talked off the radio, uh, it's so misinterpreted right now, as you mentioned. It, it's not legal to smoke it in public, but all majority of people heard was it's legal. And they just ran with it's legal. And now you see marijuana everywhere. You smell it everywhere you go, drive through lanes, things like that. Uh, yeah, we are seeing uh, a lot more people come into our jail who have been arrested for uh, whatever crime under the influence of marijuana. We are seeing an increase in that. So it's happening uh, because I think people think now it's just, it's okay. We can do it anywhere we want, anytime we want, any place we want. Uh, but it is, it's dangerous when it impairs a driver's ability to drive and endangers other people. You know who I feel most bad for? are the people that live in apartment complexes and you have, you know, a family in their unit and their next door neighbor is a heavy pot smoker, mm-hmm. you know, and they're smoking in their house and that putrid smell, that stinkweed smell is just bellowing into the, you know, common HVAC system of an apartment complex and, you know, their house smells like pot and their kids have to live in that and people call me all the time what can I do? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If uh, if, uh, if that was happening, police can't do anything about that, right? That's a civil matter. Yeah, people can smoke marijuana in the uh, confines of their own home. They're not out in public, and they're certainly able to do that. Now, I, I would imagine you get a call or two about that, right? Uh, not only do I get a call about it, but I recently just saw on my community's Facebook page somebody saying, hey, I've got my windows open. It's been nice. There's someone on the next street over that's smoking I mean, exactly the scenario you're just talking about. Right. Could you please knock it off? Right. Yeah. Uh, and of course it becomes, it's social media. So it becomes a heated exchange back and forth. Uh, who would expect anything less? So uh, we've uh, talked to people about doing like civil evictions. You know, uh, you know, if a landlord is renting an apartment to somebody, you can put like a no smoking policy into a lease uh, and you know, if somebody smokes cigarettes in there, you could evict them for that. Um, and landlords, I think, need to be thinking more about this, especially in apartment type of dwellings, townhouse dwellings, condo dwellings, where that would happen. Sheriffs do the evictions, right? Like, I mean, yes. you know, when when a judge finally says you got to get out, sheriff hits those evictions. But, but you know, if you don't have some kind of a no smoking policy on premises or in the unit, you're really out of luck. I mean, do you guys have anything on your end? Do you, have you seen anything like that? Is there anything the sheriff's office can do if somebody called in that kind of a scenario that somebody's smoking marijuana in their house? Well, we often do get calls about evicting people for smoking marijuana in their house. And uh, again, we don't have any standing in that. Just like, you know, Jeff doesn't have his department doesn't have any standing in arresting anybody because it's legal. And and we're not sitting here saying we're against legalized marijuana. Uh, we're, we're okay with the law the way it's written. The problem is it's not being fodled the way it's written. Uh, by smoking in public, smoking when you're driving. So this isn't an anti-marijuana position. This is a do it responsibly so you're not endangering others. Uh, and, and those situations where they're in apartments or houses, that is purely civil, and there's nothing we can do. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and you just brought up, Chief Katz, a really important point. You're buying a dime bag off the street because we don't have a marketplace in Virginia. You can't walk into Walgreens and buy 
marijuana. Uh, and so, you know, you buy a dime bag off of a, a drug dealer, which is illegal. Like, you can't sell yep. marijuana, right? right? That's yep. illegal. And what they're doing, what the dealers are doing, is they're lacing their marijuana with fentanyl uh, to really cut the effectiveness of the drug down and, and create a more addictiveness to the to their brand of marijuana. And my gosh, you know, you see the DEA will post like two or three grains of fentanyl could be lethal. You know, if you can, you buy a dime bag on the street and you smoke it and there's fentanyl in there, you could die like instantly, like right away. Um, and I definitely want to talk about that. We're going to do that here in just a minute. We're going to talk about Narcam. We're going to talk about the effects of fentanyl in our communities and in the jails and in the streets, because that is by far the most important thing I think that we see uh, as as ways of civil enforcement uh, on you know on the community. Uh, let me ask you this, just to tease it up: Can anyone have Narcan in Chesterfield County? Go. Yes. All right. So, how do you get it, Sheriff? We'll give it to you. Yeah. You get it at your local pharmacy through an open-ended uh, prescription. We actually uh, give it out for the Chesterfield <laughs> County Sheriff's Office for free. Yes. So, and what's important about that is, is Narcan. Like if somebody's ODing on fentanyl or any kind of opioid. You sh- it's like a little nasal spray. You shove it up the nose, you spray it in, mm-hmm. and that you save that person's life, right? Correct. And, you know, we're not just talking about junkies. We're talking about high school kids, college kids. We're talking about parents and grandparents that, you know, are buying counterfeit pills unknowingly. Um, and uh, and so it is available. We've got to talk about that and educate the community. We're going to do that right after the break. This is Tim Anderson, Jeff Katz, Chief Jeff Katz, and Sheriff Carl Leonard, guest hosting, guest hosting for the Jeff Katz on WRVA. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Hey, this is Tim Anderson, guest hosting the Jeff Cat Show, News Radio WRVA. So I'm in the studio live with uh, two two elite, uh, legendary elite, uh, Chief Jeff Katz from Chesterfield and uh, Carl Leonard, Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield. So I got these guys to come in. I promised uh, we would have uh, food and beverages and None of that's here, so it was a little trick. Ha ha. I thought we were going to be at the broadcast shack. I thought we were going out there. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's talk about something serious. Let's talk about fentanyl. So let me cue this up. So the, uh, you know, the southern border is a complete mess, and uh, I don't care what political side you are. It's a complete mess. Everybody agrees. What's coming across the southern border, mostly by Americans, is, uh, is all kinds of fentanyl uh, counterfeit pills. Those are just pouring into the United States. And how it's coming in, China sends the ingredients to Mexico's. The cartels make them. They're putting them, they're taking out the battery of their car. They're putting bags where the batteries are, and they're driving across the border. And they're, they're bringing in tons and tons of these fake pills. And uh, what we're talking about are things like uh, Adderall, right? So if, if I take Adderall, and it looks like, like a little pill, I know what it looks like, and I run out of Adderall, doctor's not going to give me Adderall again until I have to... Uh, you know, get my next prescription. So what I'll do is I'll go to my friend and I'm like, hey, where can I get some Adderall? Uh, you know, I have a big exam. I'm in VCU. I'm a big exam. And uh, he says, hey, this guy down the street will sell you Adderall. So we go to the, this guy down the street. You buy a little bit of Adderall to get you through until your prescription fills. And then you take it and it's not Adderall. It's Mexican cartel fentanyl. And, you know, J- Jason Mieras and DEA is running a campaign called One Pill Will Kill. You take that pill and you're dead. Like, dead. There's no, like, overdosing going to the hospital. You take the pill, you overdose immediately, and you die. 
And that is happening over and over and over again to college kids, high school kids, parents, you know, parents who are, are maybe instead of uh, Adderall, maybe they're trying to get a um, an SSRA antidepressant. They're trying to get something to uh, take out, um, you know, they're just something. A lot of people are addicted to opioids, um, and they're they're getting, um, they're trying to get fake. Well, not fake. They think it's real. They're just trying to get street prescriptions uh, for OxyContin, and this is all fake Mexican cartel fentanyl. And then you have the other people, you know, people who use drugs who seek out fentanyl, right? So there's these two groups of people. Uh, and you know, one way we may be less sympathetic about the, you know, the junkie type of people that are using fentanyl and that's their gig and the college kid, but nonetheless, it's all coming from Mexico for the most part over our Southern border. And it's in Chesterfield, it's in Virginia beach, it's in Virginia and, uh, people are dying. And what we just talked about is Narcan, right? Like this is a nasal drug. Uh, that if you are overdosing on an opioid, not cocaine, not meth, not not anything like that, but if you're overdosing on an opioid like fentanyl, fake, uh, fake opi- uh, synthetic opioid, that uh, you shoot this up your nose and you don't die. <laughs> I mean, like that's, it's as simple as that, right? You don't die. All right, so Chief Katz, law enforcement side, Chesterfield Police. How many times a day does Chesterfield Police dis- uh, dispatch Narcan to a citizen in Chesterfield on average? Uh, it's it's more than once. Yeah. Right? And so um, that's the tragedy. And, you know, Narcan is a life-saving tool, right? And, uh, and, and I want to make it perfectly clear. Every human life has immense value. And so we don't distinguish between how someone came upon the drugs that they're that they're using and or the condition that they're in if we have an opportunity to save a life we're going to do that um but it's a tool that is masking the extent of the problem now we've seen our opioid overdoses uh, diminish i think by 25 percent this year in chesterfield county 22 percent the year before we're making a significant impact um both on the service delivery side as well as the emergency response side. Um, but um, anytime you use a drug to counteract another drug, you're not dealing with the underlying adaptive addiction issue and the challenges. Um, you know, of course, you talked about one population that might accidentally ingest uh, an opioid or fentanyl. Um, and so service, certainly that, that comes into play there. But People that are struggling with substance abuse disorder are they're returning time and time again to to get that high, and so we have had instances where we have narcaned. In my old agency, we had one gentleman that we narcaned three times in a twenty four hour period. The third time, he actually had passed away. Um, so you know, in a sense, the the narcan is a stopgap measure for a crisis, but we also need the infrastructure in place to help people that are struggling with the addiction. That's something that has happened in the Scandinavian countries, but I think Oregon, we, we talked a little bit off this off air, that they decriminalized everything, right? But they didn't have any structure in place to help anybody um, get off of the substances. And so that's just cruel. Yeah. So, Sheriff, if we had Narcan right here, and I'm not overdosing at all on uh, anything, and you and you administered it to me. What would happen to me? Uh, nothing would happen to you. It it really is a harmless uh, application. 
the only thing it can do is save you if you're overdosing from an opioid. And it has to happen pretty quick, right? You can't do it Correct. an hour later. It has to be quick. It has to be timely. And, and one of the problems is I think Narcan has created a false safety net for people where, okay, you know, now mm-hmm. I got this magic drug or magic app. It's Narcan's not a drug, but I have this magic tool I can use if I overdose. So it, my risk is lessened, right? Uh, and, and more people are going to be a little bit more comfortable taking a drug that's potentially laced with fentanyl because I have Narcan at my disposal now. Uh, and that's 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 a problem. Uh, Jeff said it. You know, these are all human beings, and their pathway into substance use disorder uh, come from so many different ways. A, a lot of it is an innocent pathway, uh, but they have a substance use disorder. And uh, we can use all the Narcan we want. Uh, we're not treating the the problem, and that's the disease of addiction. And that's what we got to get to. Uh, one of the things with Narcan is it it mm-hmm. automatically sends you into withdrawal. And, and the reason uh, many people with substance use disorder continue to use is to avoid withdrawal. That's the most painful thing for them is to go through withdrawal, so they continue to use to avoid that. Narcan sends you into that immediately. So we have seen, and I know of folks who have been arrested, or excuse me, have been uh, overdosed, transported to a hospital, local emergency department, given Narcan in the ER, and released onto the streets in 30 minutes. I will tell you that their goal for a lot of these folks is to go find more drugs right away because they're in withdrawal now and they got to get out of withdrawal. But they know they still have something in their system, Narcan, which has a pretty long half-life. So they go back and they use more drugs to counter the Narcan that's in their system. And I know of people who've been oh, have overdosed three times in a night, sent to the emergency room three different times, only to be uh, have Narcan applied and then put it back on the sidewalk. Back out there. We're failing to address the underlying disease of addiction, which we've mm-hmm. got to get to. And that's going to be our four o'clock topic. So, Sheriff, <laughs> is it the public message that we want every citizen to have Narcan in their vehicles in the event that there's an overdose in their presence or to carry Narcan? Is that the public message? Everybody should have Narcan at, at their availability. Uh, most people don't know who's an opioid addict or who's using opioids in their family. Uh, it, it touches all of us, unfortunately. 109,000 people died last year from an overdose. So yeah. it, it's everywhere. We're not privy to it. We may not see it, but we got to be ready for it. And we can get it from the sheriff's office in Chesterfield? Yes, you can. All right, there you go. All right, that's a very important message. Uh, please take heed. Get the Narcan. It's something you get from the sheriff's office. This is Tim Anderson, News Radio WRVA. We'll be right back. Richmond, welcome. This is Tim Anderson here on News Radio WRVA. Guest hosting for Jeff Katz today with my uh, two very good friends, Chief Jeff Katz from Chesterfield and uh, Sheriff Carl Leonard. So we have a lot to talk about mental health for this next hour. You are going to want to listen to every minute. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm going to cue this up. That's not what we're going to talk about right this second. But when I go to uh, the Virginia Beach uh, Emergency Room Department in Virginia Beach General Hospital, there are more police mm-hmm. in the general hospital than there are on the street because they're babysitting people that are in crisis, right, that are facing crisis. And most of those people in crisis are suicidal, and a lot of those uh, are people that have uh, just a, a drug problem that is, you know, that is enhancing their suicidal ideations. Um and so, by gosh, and that is a big thing. If you want to hear about that, that's going to be our 430 talk. But right now, Sheriff Carl Leonard does something that I don't think any other sheriff in the state of Virginia does. Um, so 
you're in crisis in Chesterfield County. You need uh, an emergency detox protocol. Uh, what resources are available to somebody in Chesterfield County right now? Well, I think that's been a struggle, uh, not just in Chesterfield, but throughout the, the region, the state, and the nation, quite frankly. Uh, it, when somebody needs help at that minute, and, and what we've learned is when somebody, especially with substance use disorder, uh, raises their hand and said, I need help, uh, you can't say, okay, uh, come back Tuesday and we'll help you. Uh, they need help at that minute. Uh, you have to catch them at the moment they say, I want help. Uh, we don't have those resources in our region where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and get the help. So in Chesterfield County, our jail has opened up our door to anybody suffering from substance use disorder. If you're uh, in, in, and you think you need help and, and you don't want to use, you can come into the jail. You can press the front door. We have a doorbell in the front of the jail. Uh, you can say, I need help. We'll bring you into jail. We'll put you up in our programs area where the heart program uh, is operating out of. And we'll let you spend a night or two in there without criminal charges with people in recovery that can kind of help you get through that. And and we'll put you into that withdrawal protocol and make sure everything's okay. Uh, the next business day, we're going to try to connect you with services in our community. Uh, we do know that services are available Monday through Friday, 8 through 5, usually. Uh, we can get you in those services then. But we're trying to close that gap uh, of, of 24-hour services at 2 in the morning on a Sunday where somebody can go get help when they need it. Because when they're crying out for help, you've got to be there for them. And so that's what I was uh, leaning into on this. Most people would just go to the ER, right? They just go to the emergency room, and they're going to find out that what everybody finds out, that there's no beds in that moment, and they're just going to sit in a room uh, with, uh, you know, waiting for a bed. And they could sit there for quite a while. And then if they decide to leave, the psychiatrist may say, oh, they are probably a danger to leave. So then they get a temporary detention order. And now a police officer, sheriff, somebody has to go down and babysit this person for days. Right? So this is what complicates things. And I know this from talking to individuals who've suffered from substance use disorder who's begging for help. Uh, they've learned that if you go to a hospital and say, I, I, I'm an addict, I need help, they're not going to get help. So what they do mm-hmm. now is say, uh, I think I'm going to hurt myself. I think I'm going to commit suicide. They know they can get a bed most times for that. So now they're actually occupying beds that otherwise should be for somebody who's really suffering from a, a severe mental illness. But because they can't get help for the addiction, they're turning to that to get the bed. So we've got to do a better job at, at getting places for people to go for substance use disorder uh, so we can free up the very, very few beds we have for people with mental illness. But you're right. Uh, we sit at <laughs> hospitals waiting for that open bed. I have a gentleman in my jail today who is 17 on a list for a bed at Central State Hospital. Now, a bed doesn't open up at Central State Hospital every day. To be 17th on a list, we may sit on him for three weeks till a bed comes open. This is somebody in active mental health crisis, and he's sitting with deputies 24 hours a day in our jail, not getting the help he needs from a mental health professional. I will say we have professionals. We've done a better job in the jail because we've been forced to. We've become the local mental health institutions in our communities, jails, unfortunately. But this person doesn't need to be in a jail. He needs to be where in a in a mental health facility with proper staff to give him the care he needs. And so you told me off air— 70% in your facility? 
70% of my, my jail have some type of mental health issues. A lot of them have it under control, either through medicine or other means. I do have about a 30% population with serious mental illness, and those are the ones we're most concerned about and the ones that really need to get into the proper care facilities for their, for their situation and simply not available. We cannot find those beds. And as Jeff always brings out, it's not just beds. They've got to be adequately staffed with mental health professionals, and there's a huge shortage in our nation of these folks. And so you've improvised and you've turned your jail into like a, a triage mental health facility in, in, in many ways, right? You have this all these programs for people and, and uh, crisis intervention teams to deal uh, with things. We brought on a psychiatrist about five years ago. We have really uh, have a robust mental health team with clinicians now. Uh, I, I'm advertising for a second psychiatrist today. We've been forced to, uh, uh, as you say, a pivot on what we do from becoming just a jail to becoming a mental health facility. That's not what we're trained, equipped, resourced to do, but we're forced to do it because we've become the repository for people suffering from serious mental illness. Yeah. So Chief Katz, uh, let me turn to you on this. So when the General Assembly uh, passed a law that that took away the presumption against bail, Mm -hmm. I railed on that saying, oh my God, what are we doing? We're letting violent people out. This is sick. Uh, They're going to come out and re-offend and re-victimize and all that. But we talked off of air um, about something that that the sheriff offers, which is detox protocols, right? Sure. And so you said something, and I think it's an amazing point. I just want you to say it to the people that you said, like you said to me. But it's like almost the defense lawyers are doing a disservice by getting their pe- getting their clients out of jail right away, especially in Chesterfield County, because they can actually get help in the jail uh, before they come out, rather than just. The revolving door, you know, before the police officer goes home, the guy's already back on the street, right? Uh, and so, how do you like? How do you address that from the police standpoint, where you, the guy needs mental health, they can get it in the jail, and they're just revolving right back out? Like, what, what, what do you guys do on the police side? Well, first of all, we recognize that a lot of times when people are struggling with uh, either mental illness or substance abuse disorder, um, that sometimes people are using drugs because they're struggling with their mental illness, right? And so they're self-medicating. Other times you have people that are um, using drugs and it's causing uh, psychosis or it's causing some mental illness. So you've got a kind of a multivariant problem going on there. Um, what we've done on the police side to augment what the sheriff is doing in his jail is we have people who are in active recovery. Uh, We have some units that are riding with officers so that 2 o'clock in the morning when somebody hits rock bottom and they say, I want help right now, I'm ready to change my life, we can bring somebody out with street credibility that has been there, that knows. And and addiction is really about, you know, you're going to – you're going to lie to other people, right, to facilitate your addiction. You're going to lie to yourself. And so somebody who's been – someone who's in active recovery and has been in those shoes, they have a great deal of credibility and they can say to somebody, look, you know, you're lying to yourself right now. Like, right. let's get you help, right? And so well, we've worked on on that. But to your point about the, the bail reform issues, like there are resources, publicly available resources um, that – we could give people access to if they were allowed to go into the jail, right? But if they're just kicked back to the street, and we've seen it, we've 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 complained about this to the to the to the chief magistrate in our area, the previous one, uh, where we we're arresting people who are intoxicated and we're bringing them in and they're releasing them drunk in public, right? Yeah. And so, what happens when that person gets into a car and drives away? 
right? Or or goes missing and never to be seen again. So that's right? public safety, right? But it's sure. it's a disservice to the people. I and I just want to put a button on it because in case they didn't hear what you said, you have former people addicted to drugs, maybe even junkies that have rehabilitated, that are now riding with police to be able to deal with people that are in these kinds of similar crisis It's modes. a wonderful partnership. People that are it's in amazing. active recovery, that are wonderful human beings. We have one who actually wanted to be a police officer. And um, I tear up when I think about it because, you know, she comes out and I, I've said to her, I said, listen, you, you have touched more lives doing what you're doing now than you ever would have if you pinned a badge on, mm-hmm. right? It takes... A, a bunch of different competencies, uh, but everybody with big hearts to do good work in a community. And I'm really proud of the work that Chesterfield is doing in this regard. We've got a far way to go because the problem just continues to snowball and emerge. But uh, I'm proud of the work that we're doing. All right, stick with us. We're going to be right back. This is Tim Anderson, Chief Katz, and Sheriff Carl Leonard on News Radio WRVA, guest hosting here for Jeff Katz. <laughs> All right. Hey, welcome back, Richmond. This is Tim Anderson on News Radio WRVA, guest hosting for the Jeff Katz Show. Uh, today in the studio, I'm guest, uh, co-guest hosting with uh, Chief Jeff Katz from Chesterfield and uh, Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield. So we have been talking a lot about mental health. And uh, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, and I think people don't uh, completely understand this, uh, in the General Assembly, there is a a push, and then that may be a national push. We don't need police, right? We don't need police for, for all the calls. Um, we could send social workers out to deal with uh, situations. Uh, and uh, just, uh, I, I just, I'll just say this, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, domestic violence cases are probably the most dangerous cases that a police officer regularly is going to go to. Would you agree with that, Chief Katz? Oh, without question. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, short of a short of an active shooter situation, yeah, domestic. So, so you know, you got you've you've got a, a husband and wife in some type of a, a d- domestic violence situation. You know, it might just be a, a yelling match or a, some type of physical confrontation, or it could be more serious with a gun or knife. But you have you know officers rolling up, right? And he's walking into an unknown situation, and there's a push by some that think. We don't need police to do that. We could have social workers go out there and call, um, you know, just calm them down with words. Um, So what would happen in a typical domestic violence situation, do you think, Chief Katz, if we replace police with unarmed social workers? Well, look, I think I think a lot of times you can use dialogue skillfully to diffuse a situation. And any time we have the opportunity to do that, we want to. Right. So 75% of our staff, uh, our sworn staff, is CIT certified, right? So it's what does CIT mean? Because in case people don't know. So crisis intervention. Right. So so when people are in the midst of crisis, you know, we use techniques like reflective listening. And, you know, many of the techniques you, you learn as a counselor or as a social worker, um, of course, the stakes are very high. We know that. And, uh, n- you know, no police officer... Uh, in Chesterfield County decides they want to come to work on any given day and be involved in, a vi- in an act of violence, right? Um, it hurts. Um, there's an opportunity for injury. There's an opportunity for, um, you know, for, for litigation. You know, it's just not a favorable outcome. Um, but when you go to a domestic, there's always the opportunity for violence. And in fact, it's very, very dangerous. We lost an officer several years ago uh, at a violent domestic uh, and we had another officer uh, heroically he was shot six times and 
um, he was able to, to neutralize the, the suspect. But, you know, domestics are serious business and um, we do our best to deescalate with words. But there are times where people's emotions just get the best of them or they're just hell bent on on destruction and violence themselves. Would the would the in your opinion, would the uh, victim uh, and even the perpetrator be more safe or less safe if it was just a social worker responding to those calls? No, no. Without question, I believe that the the victim of a domestic violence situation would be less safe. Uh, look, people have guns in homes. There's more guns in this country than there are iPhones, right? right? Um, and that's and, and and it's very very dangerous uh, to think that you're going into someone's home where they may have multiple firearms, right? And and you've got a and you've got a victim of domestic violence that's in that house as well. Um, you know, I, I think we have to meet violence where violence is with the appropriate tools if it comes down to it of course like i said it's not our preference um but in order to protect uh the vulnerable we have to be sufficiently equipped to do that so sheriff you told me all on the break also that your your staff is also about 70 percent cit certified right yeah correct we actually take the same training with the police department uh, it, it's members from both the police department and the sheriff's office and chesterfield county mental health that are actually the instructors in it. And it's, uh, you know, what Jeff mentions is this is a transformation we've seen in Chessville over the last 10 years. We started doing our first CIT training 10 years ago. And, you know, this is the move from law enforcement from being the just the lock them up and force the code to we're social workers now. We're the first social worker somebody comes in contact with when they're in crisis or having a domestic. Uh, and we've had to train our officers and deputies and troopers across the state uh, in being those social workers. So uh, we've really morphed in law enforcement from what you see on TV to being uh, – we're very in tune with these issues. As Jeff mentioned, nobody wants to take action where they have to arrest somebody or assault – not assault somebody, but use physical uh, force on somebody – we want to resolve these situations as peacefully as possible where nobody gets hurt and, and, and we can just go on our way. Uh, the transformation in law enforcement over the years has been amazing. Uh, and I don't know if the, the, the public at large can really understand how much uh, we've changed our way of training to become more in tune with these issues and, and mental health and crisis like that and uh, learning to, to be that counselor on scene. And, and like in your jail, the police could bring – anybody to your jail they may bring a very passive dui defendant or they could bring a a crazy enraged murderer right and they're all in your jail at the same time right i mean that's just right and and in a lot of cases what we find this is for a lot of people their first introduction into the criminal justice system is when that door shuts behind them in the jail and we've seen people change uh, done a 180 on the, the minute they hear that door close behind them it's a different environment, and, and people react differently, and it's uh, it, it does cause us a lot of issues at that point. We try to use our best skills to help people to understand the process they're going through, uh, but it, it's a challenge inside the jail as well. I think that actually, you know, it's a point I wanted to make. We had an, an incident uh, that occurred last year um, where uh, a, a guy calls up dispatch and said he has uh, murder warrants. You know, we had two officers show up. We the officers determined that the guy was going through a mental health crisis. And then, you know, I think it was like 10 or 12 minutes into um, being present with him. He lunged for one of the officer's guns, was able to struggle a gun away from one of the officers, shot the backup officer. Um, and, you know, and, and this is a guy who 
had multiple, I don't want to say multiple personalities, but mo- his, his affect changed significantly through the time that they were together. And we have to understand that when we're dealing with people who are in crisis, they're not static, right? So they're going to have, they're going to be, uh, they're going to have their highs. They're going to have their lows. They're going to have their their efforts for peace, and then they're going to erupt into violence suddenly, like like this guy did. Um, so I would be concerned for the welfare and safety of social workers who are being put in that type of a situation. I'd also be concerned for the safety and welfare of the people um, who are in the residence. All right, little break here. Stick with us, Richmond. We have Chief Katz, Sheriff Carl Leonard. Uh, This is Tim Anderson with News Radio WRVA, guest hosting for The Jeff Katz Show. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. This is Tim Anderson, News Radio WRVA, guest hosting for Jeff Katz. Uh, We have in the studio live and in person Chief Jeff Katz from Chesterfield and Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield. Sheriff, you just won your election. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm honored and humbled uh, to be reelected again and serve the citizens of Chesterfield County. So you have a four-year term, right? Correct. Four years. So four four years of you. And uh, Chief, you're appointed by the supervisors there, right? That's correct. And you serve at their pleasure? I do. All right. Well, uh, I think what we've seen here, if you've been listening to the show or if you're just tuning in, what we're seeing is, is kind of a unique partnership between police and sheriffs, right? Something that you typically don't really see in a lot of jurisdictions. Uh, and I and I wonder, like, do you, Carl, do you think, Sheriff, do you think it's because you were a police officer before and you have the passion of that side of it that you brought into the sheriff's office? Or why does it work so much better or differently better in Chesterfield than it does in other places? Uh, and again, I, I can't comment on what every other jurisdiction does, but I, I know from I, I'm in my 42nd year now. I started with Chesterfield Police in 1981, and uh, you know, proud to have served them for 31 years for coming over to the sheriff's office. But I don't think it's that I, I've been with the police department for so long. I, I think it's because Jeff and I share a genuine passion for what we do. We love our jobs. We love helping the community. We love our men and women who work with us. Uh, and I think that's what makes this connection between him and I so tight, is we share the same values. We have the same goals. And when you can work together, and, and I don't want to exclude our fire chief, Loy Center, either, because mm-hmm. the three of us really work hand-in-hand hand, uh, approaching these things. One of the things we didn't talk about the, the fire department is they'll go to uh, an address where somebody overdosed the night before, and they'll actually check on them. It's, it's mm-hmm. part of that holistic approach in Chesterfield County. So it is a three-pronged approach of public safety in Chesterfield County, which uh, the three of us work so well together. And I, can't, I think it's, it's our personalities, it's our drive, it's our DNA, and that's why we work so well together. Yeah, what do you think, Chief? Yeah. You've, you've been chiefs uh, in other places. Have you had this kind of relationship uh, with uh, other, other members in law enforcement that you have in Chesterfield? Well, a little different. I was a municipal police chief in Florida, and so we had a county sheriff. And it was different because we didn't work as closely together as, as we do here in the county. But, uh, you know, I have to say, you know, I had been in policing for 25 years when I came to Chesterfield six years ago. And uh, Carl was one of the first people to welcome me. And he didn't just welcome me by saying, hi, um, you know, he, he helped orient me to the community. Um, he gave me some guidance and, and showed me around, introduced me to people. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, you know, I feel personally indebted to him 
for uh, his guidance, his mentorship, his leadership, um, but also his partnership. You know, we, like every other profession, I think, probably, you know, we have our bad days, right? And so sometimes you can't, you can't open up completely to people on your own staff. You just can't do it, right? And so, you know, he's been a sounding board for me, and, and I know I've been one for him. Um, and same thing with Loy. You know, Loy's a great guy. I'm sorry he's not here. But, uh, you know, I would say that, um, you know, it's, it's probably the person. Um, I, and and we, we're blessed to have uh, department heads in public safety that genuinely care about people and believe in the mission and are passionate about it. And I think uh, genuinely do a good job leading their personnel. So, you know, we've, we've talked about a few things already uh, at the 438 hour that we're in right now. But a lot of people just have tuned in. So I think it's it's worthwhile to talk about a couple of the things now that we've talked about a little earlier in the show because I think these are important points that we've you know that we've been covering. So uh, what are we doing right now? What will police do right now if you're smoking marijuana in the city square in Chester? What happens to them? Well, you're subject to being arrested for that. Uh, it is not legal in the Commonwealth of Virginia to smoke marijuana in a public place. Right. Right. So how, how are we, how are we, we're not obviously arresting these people. You can do that. Right. But what are you, what are we doing? Are we in an education mode trying to tell people you can't do this or is it just more of that's such a mess. We're not even going to police that right now because there's other things. What's going on with people that are smoking marijuana in public? Now, we spent a lot of time when uh, the marijuana laws first came on the books doing public education. We even went to the point of uh, of cartooning uh, like an infomercial that we put out on YouTube to help people understand what the law said uh, and what the prohibitions and restrictions were, because we genuinely believe that we have an ethical responsibility to ensure people have an opportunity to be compliant with the law. Uh, I genuinely believe that most people are good people and they want to be good law-abiding citizens. So, you know, we're not out there for the gotcha moment. We're not looking to lock people up and throw them away, right? Um, so whenever we can, we'd like to educate. Um, but when education doesn't work, or when circumstances dictate otherwise, then uh, we'll exercise our authority. Sheriff, what do you what do you think is the number one uh, problem in the jail right now that could be fixed this year in the Virginia General Assembly? What could sheriffs get that would make it better? Oh, I'm not sure we can fix anything that quick. Uh, we're, we were so deep into some of these issues. The number one crisis in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia today is mental health. Uh, and, and we're not going to fix that overnight. I don't know if we can fix that in, in a single General Assembly session. Uh, we've got to start addressing the mental health crisis in this country. Imagine this. Uh, in my 70% population with mental health issues is is really reflective of the, the, the nation, right? Uh, most jails and prisons have about a 70% population. And if I could empty my jail by 70% of the people in my jail because they're getting the mental health care they need on the outside – uh, every inmate in my jail in Chesterfield County costs taxpayers $42,000 a year. That's millions and millions of dollars a year. If I could reduce my population by 70%, because now I'm only holding those who are true criminals, the bad guys and girls, not just people with mental health issues as I am today, uh, we would save taxpayers so much money. Uh, mental health is the number one thing we've got to address in, in this state and in the country. It's not just here. 
Uh, it's nationwide. And you are addressing it with the programs we've talked about. And by the way, if you haven't listened to uh, what he said earlier, you can go to the Odyssey app and you can listen to the earlier segments. But isn't it unique that you have figured out how to address this, at least triage address it, but the government in general, the state government, is just perplexed? Well, I, I can tell you this. Uh, one of the issues with anything, local, state, or federal government, when they go to solve problems, and I truly believe they have good intentions, I really do, but one of the things I know, I've served in the military for a long time, I've been in the federal government, uh, state government, local government, one of the things they'll always do is they'll kill things by bureaucracy. They'll govern it to death. They'll committee it to death. Uh, where Jeff and I, we're type A, right? It's fixed the problem. Here's the solution. Implement it. Uh, with governments, and again, I think they all have good intentions, it gets bogged down in legislation, committees. Uh, you know, the reason I started my program is because the 10th person died in Chesterfield County, and it was March of 2016. I said, that's it, we're, from an overdose. We're, we're going to start this program today. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have budget for it, uh, but we were going to do it that day. We couldn't wait to go through the normal process of starting a program. That would take a year or longer. We had to start it that day to start saving lives in Chesterfield County. The problem with governments is it always gets killed by bureaucracy, and, and that's what we got to get around. Let's work together with solutions. Keep it out of committees. You know, Keep it out of all these studies. Let's get solutions to the road. So tell me, uh, <clears throat> tell me uh, we're not going to have enough time to do it. We're going to have to do this right after the break. But I want to hear about how you are rehabilitating individuals, certifying them as crisis intervention specialists, and getting them back out, uh, something that Sheriff Carl Leonard is doing, uh, and in cooperation with Chief Katz. Uh, we will be back here in just a minute. Tim Anderson with News Radio WRVA, guest hosting for the Jeff Katz Radio Show. ACDC. Do I get to do Thunder? Thunder! Hey, this is Tim Anderson. Welcome back to the WRVA. Jeff Katz Show. Uh, guest hosting for Je Jeff Katz. We have the other Jeff Katz, Chief uh, Police in Chesterfield and uh, Sheriff Carl Leonard. So uh, I, I heard something, and I just want to know if it's true. You know, police officers can take their, their cars home some of in some jurisdictions, right? Yes. Is it true that in 2020, in the summer of love, that uh, the officers that had to take their police cars home in Chesterfield County had to hide them? There were some people um, that felt more safe uh, not parking their car in their driveway of their home. We, we did have a couple of um, vehicles that were vandalized. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a difficult time. Yeah. For sure. yeah. I mean, my gosh, I would love to have a police officer neighbor, right, that gets to bring home their police car. Because you put that police car right in the driveway or on the street. It's a deterrent. Like, that's the reason we're letting these guys bring their police cars home, right? It's a deterrent to the community, right? It's certainly one of the reasons, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, I just don't, uh, I cannot believe that that the impulse was in 2020 that we're going to vandalize the home of the police officers because we can identify them because the police cars were in their driveways. Yeah, I mean, it was a challenge. You know, 2020 is not a year that I think I ever want to experience again. And I'm, I'm sure I speak for every uh, man and woman uh, in, in policing in the country that says that. Um, it was a very difficult time. And um, 
we had uh, you know we had officers uh, coming in. We've got a very robust peer support program in our department, you know, and um, and we, and we've had officers that were coming in saying that their kids were being bullied in school because they're because their other classmates knew that their parent was a cop, you know. So it was just a very very difficult time, and right. I'm glad that we're moving beyond it. Yeah. So. Let's talk about officer welfare and officer health and, you know, mental health, because mm-hmm. we've talked about defendant mental health, right? So, you know, police officers, first responders, they're usually on the scene before the ambulance, fire trucks, right? Uh, you know, you come up on a scene and it's a terrible car accident. Somebody's been ejected from their vehicle and, you know, they're they're dead on the side of the road and all that. Police officers are the ones initially first responding to that, sure. right? Um, so, you know, you come out to this terrible accident, somebody's dead, you know, maybe multiple people are dead. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, fire department comes and the ambulance comes and tow truck comes and, and then that police officer is just supposed to get on with his day, right? Like you just administered this tragic encounter and they just move on or they go to a domestic violence call and they get into a, a heavy altercation with somebody and, uh, and then they, take them to the jail and they're just supposed to go back, you know, back to the job like nothing happened. What are the sheriffs and police doing in Chesterfield County about officer health and welfare? Well, I think we're, you know, we're working hard to prioritize um, our mental health, our, our well-being, our, our wellness in general. Um, and we do that in a variety of different ways. So we have, as I mentioned earlier, we have a robust peer support program Um where we can lean on each other and support each other. We also uh, became the Central Virginia hub for the Boulder Crest Foundation's Struggle Well program, which teaches post-traumatic growth, um, which is the process by, you know, you think about going to the gym, right? If you go to the gym and you, and you don't know what you're doing and you're picking up weights, what's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself, right? If you know how to um, work through the process uh, and you develop principles and practices uh, to keep yourself well and healthy, uh, as you're struggling through things, you can actually grow stronger, right? And so we recognize there's an opportunity for post-traumatic growth. It's something that I hope that um, the rest of society begins to to embrace because in many respects, I think uh, a lot of the challenges that we're dealing with as a society right now is we're not uh, encouraging people uh, with the proper practices uh, to grow as a result of struggle, right? What what doesn't kill you does make you stronger, right? Uh, and you have to support each other. So, you know, we have a, again, we have a robust peer support program, uh, the Struggle Well program. Uh, we have a physical agility program where we have a, a wellness coordinator. We'll give you a baseline physical assessment and we'll develop a plan. We contract out with HCA to do um, physical occupational therapy at our academy. So we actually have a therapist there. If you get injured, they'll help you through that process. Um, so we'll develop plans and programs for people. We have a, um, you know, we have a, um, chaplaincy core. We do a training on, um, uh, fiscal, uh, responsibility and wellness. Um, so we try to touch in all the, all the different topics. Um, but the number one thing that we do is we work to create a culture where people have decentralized command and they have some autonomy and authority over, um, themselves and their their careers, as well as our first line supervisors. We have a, we encourage our first line supervisors. If you see somebody that doesn't seem like they're themselves, pull them aside, and if you need to, send them home. It's okay, 
You know, we, we want to take care of our people. That's the most important thing. Nobody wants someone showing up to their crisis who's in crisis, right? So we have to care for our folks and make sure that our people are okay. Yes. So, Sheriff, who's the best to address that? You guys or the General Assembly? Uh, Officer Wellness? Yeah. I think we have to do it. It's got to be uh, within our own organizations. It's got to be a priority. I will say Chief Katz is probably the leader in the state when it comes to this. He was way ahead of us before it was the thing to do. And uh, you know, we also have a strong officer wellness program. And when I say officer, that's that's deputies, troopers, everybody in law enforcement. Officer wellness is extremely important because for decades, for decades, we have not been concerned with the mental well-being of our employees, unfortunately. It's been the nature of our job. Go take that call. Go take that situation. Handle this. Handle that. Get back on the job. Take the next call, right? So we, we've really not paid any attention to their mental wellness. Uh, we are now focused on this with laser focus. The most valuable assets we have in our organizations is our men and women who work for us. We've got to invest in them and keep them mentally healthy and mentally well-being so they can do the job that we ask them to do day in, day out. Yeah, at a high level, too, and, and so that they're not – um, they're not struggling. Um, you know, historically, you're right, Carl, we've done a terrible job as a profession, you know, rub some dirt on it, kid. It's something that, you know, I'm sure we've all heard. This is Uh, a culture change from, uh, if you ask for help, you're weak. It's no, if you're asking for help, that's a sign of strength, not weakness. We want our deputies and police officers, troopers to come forward and say, listen, uh, I need some help. Uh, I need to talk to somebody. That's what we want them to do. So it's a huge culture change for something we've been doing differently for 100 years in law enforcement in this country, to get them to a position where they can raise their hand and say, hey, Sarge, I need some help. I need to talk to somebody. All right, we're there for you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not natural, the things that our, our folks are exposed to. Um, it's, it's simply not natural. Um, the death, the dismemberment, um, the trauma, the chaos – and, you know, in, in any other profession, if you witness someone, for example, jumping off of a bridge to their death, right, you would say to your boss, hey, I've had a terrible day. I'd like to go home. Yeah, or a and week. It, I'll take a week off. Yeah, you know, I'll be back yeah. in a week. Uh, in yeah. our profession, hey, you're done with that call. Go back in service and handle the next. Yep. You know? All right. Tim Anderson, uh, News Radio WRVA, guest hosting uh, for the Jeff Katz Show with uh, Chief Ch- Jeff Katz from Chesterfield and uh, Sheriff Carl Leonard. We'll be right back. Richmond. Hey, this is Tim Anderson. Welcome to the show. This is WRVA uh, live in studio guest hosting for Jeff Katz. And I have the other Jeff Katz, Chesterfield Chief of Police. He's been with us. And uh, Sheriff Carl Leonard to my right. We are here to talk about public safety. And that's why these guys are here. That's what this show is about. So the most phenomenal race this year. I can talk politics. You guys don't have to. I get that. Maybe you can a little bit, Sheriff, but we'll keep you out of it, Chief. Keep you above the fray. Thank you. But the biggest political thing I saw in Virginia this year was Loudoun County. And what we saw in Loudoun County is Democrats won House and delegate races across the board. Uh, The House races, the Senate races, they won those, no questions asked. But then at the local level, the constitutional officers, you saw the sheriff, clerk of court, uh, and the Commonwealth Attorney all go GOP Republican, right? And you know, really, that what that tells me as you know, a guy addicted to politics is that the community was really worried about abortion 
because that's the big issue right now for the Democrats. So they so they worried about that, but they were really worried about public safety, right? Because what was happening in Loudoun was the opposite of public safety by every metric you could look at, no matter what. You guys don't have to say anything I'm asking you, but that was what was happening. So what you what you have is is you had Republican voters voting Democrat on the state level because they were worried about abortion. And then you had Democrat voters voting Republican uh, at the constitutional office levels because they were worried about public safety. And that's what you saw in Loudoun County. And that's why public safety is the number one issue, I think, uh, above all, above abortion, above anything. If there is a belief that there is danger and it's and you're not safe, people want change, right? National average. You call 911. Police respond in five to six minutes, right? That's national average. So, you know, we are so comfortable with the concept that if I call 911, help is at my door five minutes later, six minutes later. We are used to that as a society. And then 2020 happened. We lost a bunch of police. A lot of police forces went down. Heck, I mean, Portsmouth is down 100 officers. I mean, they don't even respond to many calls because of uh, calls for service because of that. My wife got into a car accident in Norfolk, and she called the police, and the police said, we can't come. We don't have enough police officers. You know, that's what, that's what communities are suffering with. They can't respond for calls for services. Uh, There's no injuries in that case, but, you know, normally a police officer would respond to that. Um, all right, so Democrats last year and then this year, they're going to propose, and they have proposed, a bill to st- to strip qualified immunity. Like this concept, they're rabid on this concept of we want police to not have any immunity if they do something in their performance of their job and they follow procedures and everything they do is 100% within policies and procedures. We want to let them get personally sued uh, if they're chasing a bank robber and while they're chasing them and they're following all the procedures and lights and sirens and pursuit policies are in place and doing everything they were supposed to do and something bad happens that that police officer should get personally sued. That's what they're trying to strip. Although every other person in government has qualified has a sovereign immunity, if not absolute immunity. So chief cats in a very short period, because I've burned a little bit too much time just working this up. What would happen to the Chesterfield Police Department if Democrats successfully get through a qualified immunity bill telling police officers that you are on, you could possibly be sued for every single call you respond to? You could personally be sued by every single defendant you arrest. You could personally be sued for any if you accidentally caused an accident while driving your police car. What would police do in Chesterfield County in your department? You know, I think uh, regardless of, of what party pushed a bill like that through, I think a bill like that, if it were to become law, would be devastating to the public safety infrastructure of the Commonwealth. Um, I would say in our department, we'd probably lose at least a third of our staff. And what would be most devastating about that is, you know, you're ten, you're, you tend to lose the most experienced people. And when you have a crisis, that's who you want showing up at your door, right? Someone who's been there and done that and understands what they should be doing. And um, we would also have a hard time replacing those people. And if we did replace those people, we'd be replacing them with 22 and 23-year-old kids who don't have that experience. And maybe they don't think that uh, they'll get sued, right? And God bless them for wanting to do the job. Uh, but that would be devastating to public safety and throughout the Commonwealth. 
So I, I don't know what the response time is for Chesterfield, and I don't care, but average five to six minutes nationwide. You lose police, you lose 30% of your force. I call 911 because there's a, somebody trying to break into my house, and you have 30% less officers. There's going to be a, a priority response, right? Like, you you know, you're going to take, you have to prioritize who you're going to help, right? That's what has to happen. Yeah, I, I would say that there are a few professions uh, in society that already put as much at risk for, you know, personal injury uh, as our police and um, public safety staff, sheriffs and, and fire, uh, military as well. Um, when you start talking about potential financial destruction on top of that, um, that that's just going to um, exceed the tensile strength of the average person's constitution, and they're just going to walk away. Right. Um, and rightfully so. So, Sheriff, are schools good in Chesterfield, public schools? Yes. Yes, we have outstanding schools in Chesterfield I, County. I mean, I think if I lived in Richmond, uh, I would want to live in Chesterfield County uh, and probably put my kids in the, in the public schools. I certainly wouldn't send them to the city of Richmond public schools, no offense, but, you know, I would want to live in Chesterfield County, good schools, right? Um would uh, and that's something Chesterfield touts, right? Good schools. That's you know safe community. Correct. So what happens to the entire fabric of Chesterfield or any other community like it if they lose that many police rapidly? Yeah, it'd be it'd be critical to everything in our community, right? And and first let, let, let me put this in simple terms: what that means losing qualified immer- immunity. That means if you do everything right, if you follow policies and procedures in the law, if you do everything right, you're going to be able to be sued. For doing your job right because you only get qualified immunity if you do everything right if you don't do everything right today you don't have qualified immunity if our officers and deputies and troopers do something outside of our policies and procedures they lose qualified immunity because they don't qualify for it so it's already in place so what you're saying is we're going to remove it so if you do everything right now you can be sued so it's, it's a lose-lose for these officers. Why would you go into this profession? Why would you stay in a profession? And if you lose that much of your force, you, you can't have good schools, good work environments, good communities if you don't have safe and secure communities. Uh, that's first and foremost. You have to have public safety in place to ensure your schools are good, your neighborhoods are good, your workplaces, your parks, right? We say uh, work, live, and play, right? Those places have to be safe first for you to enjoy any of that. So it's very critical to maintain. If you can look around to Baltimore, for instance, what you see is, I think, the future of law enforcement if we lose qualified immunity. Uh, They've gone to a firehouse response where uh, police officers now stay sheltered in the station and you wait for the call to come in. Imagine that in Chesterfield County or anywhere else in Virginia where the police officers don't leave the station until a rape has occurred, a robbery has occurred, a murder has occurred. We're only being reactive at that point, right, because we don't have personnel to be proactive anymore. That's the kind of environment you're going to live in if we lose qualified immunity. I think that the reason people go to downtown or go out with their families or go out in, in public in general is because they know that there is – uh, that they feel safe. They, there's just a feeling of safe. Whether that's real or not, there's a feeling of safe. When, If there's a not a feeling of safe, you don't go out. And I know that from being in the General Assembly. At night in Richmond, I didn't go out. And if I did go out, I wasn't walking through downtown Richmond. I mean, I, you know, no offense to the Richmond police because they're great. I mean, mm-hmm. they're great people. But there's not enough of them. There's just They're just not there. And so do I want to walk from the Capitol to a different part of Richmond at 8 o'clock at night? 
No way. I would never do that. And so what you see, like in downtown Richmond, is there's just all the restaurants have shut down. You know, there's a handful of them left, but they're mostly shut down. I mean, there's no people walking around. People don't feel safe. And, you know, if, you, if you're dumb enough to drive your car to downtown Richmond, it's probably going to get stolen. I mean, the, the auto theft rates in Richmond are out, off the hook. Uh, and so I think that what people have to understand is when you're advocating a policy, some kind of social justice policy like abolishing qualified immunity, the real impact is to public safety, right? Because police officers aren't going to do it. Uh, what's the starting salary for a police officer in Chesterfield County? Uh, about 56000 All right. What about for sheriff? I believe it's about 52000 Okay. So you're making, you, you have $50,000 professional job. That's not hard to get, you know, in some other, in some other gig. Like mm-hmm. you can make $50,000 as, you know, in, in a lot of uh, activities. So why would I want to be a police officer or a sheriff if now I'm going to get sued? You know, any mo, any call, any dangerous thing I do, which I do that all day long, uh, I'm possibly going to get sued personally. I could have 20 calls I'll respond to. That's 20 lawsuits every single day you subject yourself to. And in the jail, how many inmates are, you know, their interactions with all, with the with the prisoners? I mean, who would want to do the job at 450 for a, for a million dollars? Like every day you're possibly going to get sued. There's just nobody would want to do the job. And that is something people have to think about when they think about abolishing qualified immunity of what it's going to do. And it's just what they did in 2020 when they got on the defund police method. And we just saw that happen. You know, like police departments are in both. We got to go in just a second. But uh, we just heard uh, you told me off air. Six months is what it takes for an academy, right? Mm -hmm. You can get somebody in. You got to replace them and go through academy for six months. And they come on the street and they have to be with field training officers and they have to be with with training officers in the jail. You just can't replace these guys. So think about that. If you are on the qualified immunity train, you think that's a good idea, it is going to devastate, devastate law enforcement, and it's going to devastate the uh, feelings of community safety and law and order and public safety. So uh, that's qualified immunity in a nutshell. We'll be right back. I have Chief Jeff Katz, Sheriff Carl Leonard. We're going to be right back. Stick with us. Tim Anderson with WRVA guest hosting for Jeff Katz. <laughs> All right, so guys, you, you don't understand. This is Tim Anderson with WRVA, uh, guest hosting for Jeff Katz. So we have this comedian behind the glass. Uh, his name is Producer Jeremy. And uh, his entire job is to sit here and make funny faces at me. He thinks I know sign language. He throws these number signals at me. I don't know what those mean. I think he keeps saying I'm number one. Maybe it means there's one minute. I don't know. Uh, but uh, in any event, uh, welcome back to the show. Look, we have Chief Jeff Katz. Carl Leonard, Sheriff Carl Leonard from Chesterfield County, and we just talked about qualified immunity uh, and public safety. So there was a bill that was passed by Democrats a couple years ago that got rid of the presumption against bail, right? And what that means is, is that uh, prior to that, if you committed a violent domestic assault, if you committed some type of violent homicide or something like that, you were presumed you had the, the magistrate, the first line of defense, held them without bond, right? And they would stay in jail and judges down the road would decide whether that person was safe to go back to the community. Um, but they took that presumption away. And now there's all kinds of people that are revolving door out of the jail, right? Now, Sheriff, you, the police arrest, they bring them to your facility 
you book them, they see a magistrate, and then the magistrate determines if they stay in the jail, right? Correct. That's how it works. Correct. All right, so you have firsthand information about this. Since the Democrats have passed that law, who is getting out without even having a post bond, just signing their name? Who's getting out? Right, so I'm not saying this... Uh most people, almost everybody, is getting released on their own recognizance, signing a piece of paper. Uh, and I don't say this lightly. When I say most people, I'm talking about people charged with manslaughter. I'm talking about people charged with uh, sexual abuse of minors, people who have been extradited back to this uh, county from a different state. Uh, there was one guy that was a fugitive for years. He got caught living under a different name. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Katz, uh, his folks go out there to extradite him. Been on a run for years. Bring him back here. He's released on his own recognizance. His promise to come back to court. Uh, the problem is we're putting people back in the community immediately after committing some sometimes very violent crimes, uh, and and nothing prevents them from going back and doing more violent crimes, especially to where they just had it. So it, it's creating unsafe communities. Uh, the number of people being released, uh, and Jeff mentioned it earlier in the broadcast, even those arrested for drunk driving. Uh, I have a real big issue with people being released who are still under the influence of alcohol. Uh, they're going to be released at a sidewalk, and they they can step in traffic while legally intoxicated, uh, you know, above the .08 threshold. Uh, and who's responsible for their safety? Or if they get behind the wheel of another car, get back on the road again, uh, and, and endanger other citizens in Chesterfield County. So it's been very frustrating, the number of people coming in, arrested by Jeff's people for doing uh, the great work they do in the police department every day. Uh, and I know it's very frustrating to them to put all this time and effort into arresting somebody who's a violent offender only for them to be released under signature and out the door again before that police officer even finishes doing their report. Yeah, that's right. So let me tell you the story. So this guy named Peter Lollabrigio uh, in Loudoun County tried to strangle his wife, right? And uh, the, the court released him, put him on a GPS monitor. He then went to his wife's house and... Uh, Killed her with a hammer. Just beat her to death, right? You know, like, we think protective orders are something safe. They're not. You know, somebody wants to come at you with a hammer, you're not going to hold up a piece of paper and you get this invisible force field, right? He was released because strangulation used to be something that you couldn't get a bond for. But because the General Assembly tied the hands of the judiciary, they had to release him under the the standards. And he comes to his wife's house, who he first tried to strangle, wearing a GPS monitor, and beat her to death with a hammer. That's why Loudoun County, cases like that is why Loudoun County uh, just threw out their Commonwealth attorney. But how demoralizing is that, Chief Katz, that you have an officer who's risked his life, right, did some kind of crazy act of, of valor to put this bad guy in the jail, right, to get him off the street, only to learn that probably before the end of his shift, or at least before the end of his next shift, this guy's out the door back on the street again. How does that affect your 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 officers? Well, it it's it is somewhat invalidating, but we try not to take personally the uh, the impact of the judiciary in in the work that we do. Where I think it becomes really demoralizing is that we take very seriously our role in keeping our public safe, right? And so, uh, in the case that you just spoke of. Imagine going into a violent domestic, which earlier in the show we talked about is one of the most dangerous calls you can go to. You go to a violent domestic, somebody's threatened to kill their spouse or partner. We Maybe we get into a tussle with that person. We bring them to the jail. They get released. And now they go back to that same house. 
And now whatever issue they were dealing with before, it's just been compounded by the fact that now that person has a court date and the reality that they've just maybe been embarrassed by being arrested, right? Um, and then and then what happens to the member of our public who could be assaulted as a result of that? You know, the system is not protecting the people that it's designed to protect. Right. I would just think uh, as a human being, as a police officer, if I knew that there was a revolving door at the jail, that would at least affect me in how I, you know, how I might respond to a call. Now, I'm not a police officer. I'm not saying your all, your alls would do that. But me, Tim Anderson, if I was a police officer, I would be like, why am I risking my life to do something when this guy's just going to be right back out on the street the very next day? I'm not saying that's happening. Yeah. That's how I think as Tim Anderson uh, and I just can't. I just can't believe that anybody thinks it's a good idea that somebody who gets charged with a homicide, like guys are signing their name, sheriff, right, signing their names out for homicides, manslaughter cases. Yes, yeah. we've had that happen. All right, so you know you've killed somebody, and you get to go and sign your name out, and you're back out of jail with a few hours wait back into the public. How is that safe for the community? It's insane. We have to take a break. This is Tim Anderson with News Radio WRVA. We'll be right back. Chief Katz and Sheriff Colonel Leonard, you're going to want to stay with us. Hey, Richmond, welcome back. This is Tim Anderson, News Radio WRVA, guest hosting for my uh, very good friend, Jeff Katz. But I have my other very uh, close friend here, Chief Jeff Katz from Chesterfield, and uh, friend here, good friend here, uh, Carl Leonard, Sheriff, Chesterfield County. We've been talking about public safety a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to uh, talk about this because this is something I was very passionate on in the General Assembly is counterfeit pills coming into the United States, counterfeit prescription pills coming into the United States. We have got to tell our family members, our children, our parents, our friends, that one pill can kill. And what that means is, is that if you are not getting your prescription medication from Walgreens, from CVS, from the pharmacy, that that could be a counterfeit pill from Mexico. And these Mexican cartels are creating fentanyl-laced pills the General Assembly this year just categorized fentanyl as an act of terrorism. You know, it, it is domestic terrorism. There is a, uh, a, the supply is coming from China, certainly our major um, not geopolitical foe coming to Mexico. The cartels are making pills that look just like Adderall, Xanax, and they're being shipped into the United States. They're into our communities. And then you think you need an Adderall, you're a college student at VCU, and you go and you get an Adderall from a buddy who got it from another guy, and you take that Adderall, and it's not Adderall, it's pressed fentanyl, and you're dead, right? Does that happen in Chesterfield County? Sure, it does. Okay. Uh, And so it happens in every community in the United States. There are enough people that are dying. You know, we we talk about gun violent deaths, you know, gun deaths in, in Virginia, there's about 300, you know, homicides, actual homicides from from firearms. <coughs> 2,200 overdose deaths, and 70% of those come from fentanyl, right? Uh, active terrorism. So it is something that the attorney general's pushing, the governor's been pushing, and I know, Sheriff, you've been very adamant about uh, in promoting, which is Narcan is a drug that citizens can have now. It's not really a drug. It's more of an antidote, right? Uh, Anybody can have it. And the sheriff's office offers training, 
right? To, Correct. To administer it. So tell me a little bit about how it works and why it's so important for the community to get involved with that. Well, again, Narcan, uh, it, 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 it is a miracle in itself. Uh, it brings people back who have overdosed, and uh, it's got great success, but it's got to be applied right away when somebody first overdoses. So you got to have it readily accessible. And the more we can get this in our communities, uh, the, the less people that will die from an overdose. So uh, you can get it at any pharmacy. There is an open prescription uh, in the state. Uh, th- I think the price right now is about $67 if you want to get a box of, of Narcan. Uh, but we do training in, in the Chesapeake County Sheriff's Office, Revive Training, where we'll, we'll put you through the training and we'll give you a box for free. We've done this at the county fair every year where we've handed it out to people in the community. Uh, we're trying to encourage as many people as possible to get their Narcan, have it readily available to them in their car, in their workplace, and in their homes. Uh, you don't ever know when somebody's going to have an overdose from opioids, and you have to be ready to do it. So it's, it's very important to get that, to get that out there and be ready. Uh, at the same time, we've also got to be more uh, in tune with you know treating the substance use disorder to, to get people into long-term recovery. That's the absolute long-term plan here, right, is to get people off of the drugs and into long-term recovery. I think that, you know, what we think about with people who use drugs is a category of people that are just chronic drug users. And, uh, you know, something you said, Chief Katz, was, you know, every life has value, and, and that is so true. But the way that this fentanyl counterfeit crisis is happening. It is not killing the junkie mentality kind of people that we think of. It's killing our college kids and our high school kids and our parents and spouses and brothers and sisters, people that we don't associate so much with drug use. And we're so scared to talk about this as a society because we don't want to talk about drugs and you know, thinking anybody's on drugs, but literally every person in our community is possibly, you know, doing something that could give them, uh, put them, put their lives in danger. I'm sure, I know in Virginia Beach, we just had a kid die of a fentanyl overdose. I I don't think he woke up that morning thinking he was going to die. You know, you just make a mistake. And, you know, most of the time you make a mistake, you have chances to fix it. But in this case, you don't. Your officers all have Narcan, right? We do. Are you administering it daily? Is that fair to say? We are. Yeah. Um, and so, like, this is something where the community really, you if you are listening to my voice right now, you need to have Narcan in your car. And if you don't want to pay for it, go to Sheriff Carl, Carl Leonard's jail and take the class, you know, which is good anyway. I took the class. The governor offered it to all the members of the General Assembly last year. I took the class, and I have Narcan at, with me at, at, my, uh, at my office. It's like a defibrillator, right? It's just that. Mm-hmm. But you get trained. Yeah, you you you're not just trained on how to shove the the thing up the nose and squeeze. It's how to identify who's overdosing on on opioids, right? Correct. And, and the other thing is, uh, you can do no harm with this. Right. It, it, if you're you got somebody who's not an overdose victim, but you use Narcan, you cannot hurt. It can't exasperate the situation. Uh, it can only help them if it is truly an opioid. Overdose. Otherwise, it, it does no harm to anybody if it's used on the wrong person. So, the more we get it out there, the more we can use it. Uh, you know, 109,000 people in this country died last year in overdose. Uh, that that is a sad number, and it continues to go up every year. We've got to get wide distribution of Narcan into communities. Now, that's not the answer. That's a temporary band-aid on the problem. We've really got to get down to the the nuts and bolts and and, and fix the substance use disorder that's uh, happening in our communities. And you mentioned it, Tim. Uh, This hits all walks of life. Pathway into addiction is very innocent at times. We see a lot of high school injuries 
uh, end up in that direction, right? Sports injuries, uh, mm-hmm. college. Uh, you know, we see the pathways are so varied, and the people come from all aspects of our community. They're in your workplace, they're in your schools, they're in your churches. You just don't know it. But there's a lot of people suffering with substance use disorder in our communities. And you think about 109,000 people, right? You take 109,000, you divide it by 365, that's 298 people a day. That is the equivalent of a Boeing 737 crashing. You know, if a Boeing 737 fully loaded crashed today, it would be national news. We talk about it for days, right? Mm-hmm. If the If it happened the next day, It'd be talking about for weeks. And if you had five of them crash right in a row, all all air transportation would shut down, right? And we have, an, we have a fully loaded plane crashing every single day in the United States, 300 Americans dying every single day from opioid, uh, well, not opioid, but overdoses in general. And 70% mm-hmm. of those come from fentanyl coming from the cartels in Mexico. That's why Virginia declared it a uh, act of terrorism because that's exactly what it is. So, uh, Chief Katz, on the issue of... Um, fentanyl. How do uh, the police respond to a call for service when there's an overdose? You know, they administer the Narcan. Is that person then arrested if they're overdosed? No. No, no. because they changed the law on this, right? Right. So so you have a call for service, you have your overdosing, you call 911, right? That person's not getting arrested. That's correct. What happens to them? They go to the hospital, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, right. we make sure that they have the appropriate aid. You know, of course, we're going to ask them, sure. can you can you give us information on where you got this? Right. Um, and our ability to intercede might save someone's life, right? So we're, we're absolutely going to take that, that, uh, that step, um, but we're relying on their cooperation. Did you guys see that sheriff's deputy who opened up the back of a Florida sheriff's deputy and he mm-hmm. opened up the back of the car and he didn't even touch the fentanyl, but he just ingested some of the granules that were in the air and he like overdosed and it took like eight Narcan ingestions to get him back to life. Like this is nasty stuff, right? It is. And Extremely a lot of, dangerous. A lot of times people think that, that fentanyl is m- like the consistency of like salt or <clears throat> sugar or something like that. It's more like baby powder. It's much more, uh, you know, aerosol and uh, easily, uh, easily ingested accidentally. You know, fentanyl was supposed to be for uh, the military uh, when a soldier would get his leg blown off in battle and he was in excruciating pain. It was for war injuries like that. Right. And what it has become is just a synthetic cheap way for a lot of people to get high. Right. And uh, what's happening is you just see that reoccurring. Uh, in in the population. And, you know, there's the people that are intentionally doing it and the people that aren't intentionally doing it. But true or false, Chief Katz, people who buy marijuana are buying it illegally, right? Because you sure. can't- You can't buy it legally. So anybody yeah. who's selling you marijuana is doing it illegally. And true or false, there is fentanyl in uh, marijuana in some cases. Sure. And in some cases it is. It is. And, and I will say this too, and I said this off the air earlier- Anytime we serve a search warrant on a drug dealer, we always find the same three things. We find money, we find guns, and we find drugs. And when we find drugs, you're going to find cocaine, you're going to find opioids, you're going to find fentanyl, right? So people that are out there purchasing, quote unquote, harmless marijuana, and everybody has different views on marijuana. I'm not here to preach on that. But if you're buying drugs from a drug dealer, you're support supporting the fentanyl crisis. And so- People need to be very mindful of the reality that when you are given money to a drug dealer, um, you're given money to someone who's peddling poison. Yeah, because you know most drug dealers aren't just 
shooting, you know, selling marijuana, they're selling heroin, they're selling yeah. cocaine, they're selling uh, roofies. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things that they're selling, sure. and you are promoting that. And uh, I, I think that the the marijuana conversation is huge. But the biggest takeaway about this is is that if you're buying marijuana from somebody you don't know, there could be fentanyl in there, and just a few drops kills you, right, Sheriff? Uh, that's correct, and. Uh you know, we see it in our jail too. Uh, when people get arrested and get uh, incarcerated in our jail, all our deputies have to search them. We've had deputies who've had that uh, contact with that fentanyl or some other drugs, and, and it's affected them. So it's a very dangerous situation uh, when you go through people's property who are brought into jail because it, it is uh, a highly, highly uh, dangerous drug. But I want to also say that we're not condemning fentanyl and opioids. There are really practical uses for them in the medical mm-hmm. field, and, and they do help people out in those cases. But uh, everything today is tainted with fentanyl. We know that, and it's extremely dangerous. And uh, we do offer fentanyl test strips at our jail as well. If you want fentanyl test strips, you can get those from us as well. Yeah. All right, we got one more break, uh, and then we'll be back for our final segment. This is Tim Anderson with uh, News Radio WRVA. Chief Katz to my left, Sheriff Carl Leno to my right. We'll be right back. Stick with us. <laughs> <laughs> all right i like that one uh you know in my house there's only two reality shows that are allowed and one of them's cops the other one's the bachelor so uh it's a compromise i had to make domestically right but uh that's a fun show all right so hey uh tim anderson wrva uh welcome back to the show guest hosting the final segment here for the chef jeff katz show i have chief jeff katz to my left Sheriff Carl Leonard to my right, both from Chesterfield. So uh, last few minutes, if I have a kid with another woman and I'm trying to exchange that child with her in a safe place, or if I sell something on Facebook Marketplace or something like that, is there a safe place I can go to do that transaction? Yes, we have what's called a safe exchange zone in Chesterfield County. It's at the main courthouse. It's a big painted blue circle. You can't miss it. Uh, it's under lights. It's it's actually observed by a deputy live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's a cameras on it at all times. There's a panic button there, and it's in the main courthouse parking lot. And we have over probably over 1,500 child exchanges every year that go on there, as well as goods exchanges, right, online purchases, things like that. And and I always tell everybody this: if you're going to make an online exchange, a purchase online, and and you got to meet somebody to pay for it and turn over the property. If you say, meet me over the courthouse, and they say, no, I don't want to meet there, there's probably a reason for that. Right. So you got to be real careful. I, I know, Chief, you've had a couple robberies that have occurred for these online exchanges oh, yeah. in some shady places. Yeah, that's a real uh, a real problem. These online exchanges, Facebook Marketplace and such, um, we have a lot of people who get ripped off. And so you know, doing it in front of uh, the courthouse or at a lobby of a police station is definitely a smart move. And like the sheriff said, if somebody doesn't want to do it, and walk away. Yeah, and there's also uh, in the, you can also drop off like your expired prescription medication. Do you have that option as well? Right, I believe you have a, an actual uh, <clears throat> kiosk in your front lobby of the police station we uh, where we do these medication takebacks throughout the year. But I think you have one that's all, all day long. Yeah, we do, and you know I want to encourage people to uh, to to drop off medication that they're not currently using. There's a you know, there's this phenomenon right now that, that kids are doing. They call it farming, where they're taking prescription pills and throwing them in a in a uh, in a bowl at a party, and people are just taking a handful of pills to see what happens. Right? That's that's very dangerous. Um, so 
you know, we had this campaign that we did with Chesterfield Safe a while back called Don't Be an Accidental Drug Dealer. Um, if you've got medicine in your cabinet, you're not actively taking it, um, bring it to the police department, bring it to the lobby, drop it off in what looks like a mailbox, and we'll, we'll, ex- we'll uh, destroy it for you. Yeah, so uh, we have a bill this year to uh, lower the voting age to 16. <laughs> and it just shocks me. Like, we, we had to do a, a whole public service thing about not eating Tide Pods, you know, at one point. Like, don't eat the Tide Pods. And, you know, now, hey, don't take your parents, you know, drugs for, you know, whatever their t- hair loss, you know, and throw them in a pill and, you know, uh, whatever, whatever they're doing. It's crazy what kids will do, but it's, it is an important point, sure. right? Because I think about my house. I mean, I have drugs, you know, I got, you know, had, you know, like a back spasm or something. The drug gave me, or doctor mm-hmm. gave me a muscle relaxer and there's still six or seven pills in there. I don't need them. They're, you know. Should, you should just drop them off and get rid of them, right? Absolutely. Uh, and that's, uh, I think that's a, a, a valuable uh, point. And I think even more uh, important, you know, with the goods, right? But the children too, like if you have a hostile relationship with your domestic, you know, the parent, co-parent of your child, um, going to these safe zones to do that is important because you have eyes on what's happening, right? And just like body camera, right? We all have body camera yes. now. Sheriffs yep. have body camera. Yep. By the way, police always want a body camera, right? Correct. It was always the police that wanted the body camera. It was never, it was, but it wasn't until George Floyd happened that the left said, we have to have body camera, right? But when everybody's on film, everybody acts a little better, right? Correct. Everybody acts a little bit more appropriate. And I think that's an important uh, service. You don't have to be a resident of Chesterfield County to, to do that, right? I mean, anybody can just roll up there. and Correct. Anybody and, can use that safe exchange zone. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's important. And, and I think also that exists in pretty much every community in Virginia. So, you, you know, if you're listening to this in Virginia Beach, I know the Virginia Beach Sheriff off, offers it. I know that there's other places that offer it, too. So... Um, yeah, don't, don't get scammed. You know, somebody who's on Facebook, who's selling something may be legitimate or they may not, but who cares if you're in a safe zone, you, uh, you're, you're totally protected. All right, guys, we have about 30 seconds left. Final word, chief. No, I just uh, appreciate that opportunity to sit down with you guys and, uh, and have some robust discussion. hope the, the uh, listeners enjoyed it. Yeah. What about you, Sh- Sheriff? Uh, so what I've learned is it takes three people to replace Jeff Cash. <laughs> 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 He'll like that. Hey, uh, put that on the on the clip and send that over to him. That's uh, and, and we didn't even do it that well. So he 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 doesn't even have to sit here. You know, he does it from his little taco hut uh, at his house. So anyway, all right, that wraps it up. This is Tim Anderson with uh, News Radio WRVA guest hosting for Chief or for Jeff Katz. I have Chief Jeff Chief Jeff Katz to my left, Sheriff Carl Leonard to my right. It was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.